Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. Man, I, I, I don't really know how you follow that. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, little Shepherd, I, I hung up my, my microphone for, for today. Um, but yeah, I had to kill a giant. Um, well, good morning. Good morning, Soul City. We are, are so glad that you are here with us, whether you are, are in the room or you're worshiping with us online. Thank you for being here. Well, as uh, we, we mentioned earlier, we have been in this series called The Greatest Hits of the Bible for the last several weeks, where the teaching pastor has, has uh, shared a story that they believed um, would, would really bless, bless us that particular week. It's a story that has marked them, has been significant in their lives. And today we're going to be concluding our series by taking a glimpse into the Old Testament story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is, is a Bible figure who has, has marked my life. I, I don't think I would be quite where I am without what God has, has done through that particular book. So I believe I have a, an assignment to share through Nehemiah, and I believe that what the Holy Spirit has for you is going to bless you, encourage you, challenge you, all of those good things, and I'm excited to share. So let's dive into it. Why don't we pray first? So Holy Spirit, we just thank you for your presence that we can always count on. You are here. You're in this space. You're in this room. But we invite you to come even more. We invite you to have your way. Even for those who may be in their kitchens or in their cars online, maybe they're joining from their couch. Lord, I pray that you would release your presence Release your peace. Release your power. We say have your way. Whatever you're into today, Lord, that's what we're into. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, I, I don't know about you all, but, but sometimes I can't help but to think about some of the problems in our world. Um, you know, for example, one that I will share that, that is just my lived experience. It, 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 is, it is something that I, I have experienced more often than I would like to admit. It is when I go to Chipotle and I pick up my Chipotle order and I take it home and then I, I realize they, they did not include my queso. <laughs> Jesus, help me. There, there is just no disappointment, friends. Like when you go home and you open up your bag and you get your chips and only to realize that you don't have your queso. That's when I want to kill a giant right there in that, in that moment. That's a problem. It's a problem. Another problem that, that, that I know I'm in a season of life where I experience this often is why, why do kids only sleep when you don't want them to but don't when you do? I, I, I just I don't get it. It's, why are you awake? I'm trying to have a date night with my wife. Why are you, he- like, what, what's happening? You are supposed to be asleep. But then when you take them on a two-minute drive, they knock out as if you drugged them with melatonin or something like that. I mean, what, what, what prompted that? So there are, are those kinds of problems that, 
that we experience, right? But then there are, are more serious problems, right? There, there, there are actual problems, real problems in our world. You know, what comes to mind when I think about real problems in the world uh, are the 771 million people that do not have access to clean and safe drinking water today. That is literally one out of 10 people in the world. That is a problem. When we look at the um, people who fall victim to human trafficking, it's 24.9 million people at any given point, adults and children. That's a huge problem. It's a significant problem. Or there is the problem of mass shooting that we continue to experience today. In fact, in 2020 alone, there has been at least four a week in the United States. At least four. And we know from, from, from personal experience and from data that systems of oppression are very much so alive and active today. Housing discrimination and inequality, racial inequality in education, Mass incarceration continues to oppress people in my community and other people of color around the nation. So there are those kinds of problems. But then drilling down even further, there are the problems that we experience on a personal level. A sickness, a diagnosis, relational tension in our families. Betrayals in marriages or, or in, in relationships. Generational habits and sins. There are those kinds of problems as well. And when, when I think about all of these problems, all of these real problems, what comes to mind for me, the question that, that, that I sometimes find myself asking is, well, where is God at in, in all of this? Where is he at? Is he aware of the problems that we seem to experience, the ones that seem to be countless? We can't even keep track of all of these problems. Where is he at in all of these problems? In the problems that we experience personally in our lives, the problems that people that we know that they experience in their lives. The question that I want to invite us all to, to sit with together today is, well, what is God's plan for the problems in our world? Or when it comes to the, the, the problems in our world, does God know what he's doing? <laughs> does he know what he's doing? What is God's plan for the problems in our world? You know, when, when we look at the Bible story, and in particular the life of Jesus, what is very difficult to overlook is the fact that God actually has a clear plan. He, he has a clear plan, and he, he has a clear vision. Or to put it differently, he has, he has a mission. And what is that, what is that mission? Well, after uh, fasting for 40 days, 
Jesus, he comes out of the wilderness, he returns to his hometown of Nazareth, and he, he goes to a synagogue, and he gives us a glimpse into this plan. He essentially reads his mission statement. And this is what Jesus says in Luke, 18, or Luke 4, 18 to 19. So it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus, he, he, he opens up the scroll of Isaiah. He reads Isaiah 61 to his audience, and Jesus essentially says, hey guys, this day that you've read about, this day that you've heard about, it is here. It is, it is happening. I am that dude. I am that guy. It is here. The Holy Spirit's power is with me and upon me. And I am here to mobilize God's mission. And what Jesus is saying here, what we see here is that God's mission isn't simply that that we would believe and put our faith in Jesus so that we can get to heaven, so that we can get to the sweet by and by. His, his mission is actually for the here and now as well. His mission is hope. His mission is healing. His mission is restoration. His mission is reconciliation. His mission is redemption. His mission is restoration and justice. This is what his mission is all about. It, it, it's spiritual, but yet physical. It's for the individual, yet it's also for the community. It's, it's natural, but it's also supernatural. This is his mission. And not only does God have this very clear mission, but we also see this theme in the Bible that God invites humans to participate in his mission. And if that is the case, if that is true, if he invites humans to participate in his mission, the question that comes to mind for me then is, well, how do I recognize when God is inviting me to step into his mission in a new way? How do I even recognize that? What does that look like? Well, that's where the book of Nehemiah comes in, the story of Nehemiah. As I said, it is one of my favorites, and Nehemiah is an Old Testament picture of what it can look like to recognize and then step into God's mission for your life. So if you want to go with me to Nehemiah 1, you can uh, grab your Bibles or your phones. And then we also have our Soul City Bibles in the seats in front of you. Nehemiah 1 is on page 383. And as you go there, as you turn there, I want to give a little bit of context around the book of Nehemiah. So the book of Nehemiah, it was originally written in, in combination with the book of Ezra. They, they were one book that tells a story of God's people after 70 years of exile. So God's people, they were just wilding out, y'all. They were, they were out here wilding. Um, and, and, and they were wilding out for a long time. They, they, they lived in rebellion and rejection against God. And as, as a consequence to that, they eventually were conquered by the, the nation of Babylon. Israel was destroyed, and many of them were taken away from their land as exiles. 
So the backdrop of Ezra and Nehemiah is that God's people, they begin to return now. Some of them voluntarily begin to return back to a destroyed Jerusalem. Everything is in ruins. No one knows God anymore. No one follows him. It is literally a chaotic time to be alive. It's a chaotic time for God's people. But some key people like Ezra, who was a a, a Bible teacher, essentially a teacher of God's law, and Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer, their entire goal was revival. That that was their sole uh, purpose for uh, what, what, what they wanted to accomplish, right? They wanted to rebuild what was in ruins. They wanted to return God's people's hearts back to following him like their ancestors once did. And I don't know about you, but that sounds relatable to me. It, it sounds transferable to, to 2022, but also to my life. There are some things in my life that can use revival. There, there are some aspects of my faith that can be reawakened. And maybe you're here today and maybe there are aspects of your life that need revival. Aspects of your life that need re, uh, reawakening. Maybe there are things that feel like they're in ruins that need to be rebuilt. And what the book of Ezra, Nehemiah teaches us is that our God is a God of revival. Our God is a God of revival. He is into restoring broken things. He's into resurrecting dead things. He's into awakening things that are asleep. That is what Ezra, Nehemiah teaches us. This is the backdrop of Nehemiah 1. So I want us to jump in to Nehemiah. Let's read verse 1 to 4. This is what it says. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Jerusalem uh, with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. He wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So right away we are introduced to Nehemiah, right? The scene is that some of his, his, his friends, right, his brother and his friends, they come and they visit. And Nehemiah is in the city of Susa, which is an important city in that day, in, in, in the ancient world, that is hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem. And his brothers and, and, like I said, some of his friends, they come and they tell him, Jerusalem's in deep trouble, in great trouble. And he wasn't ready for what he heard. This caught him off guard. This, this wasn't the news he expected to hear. This was a huge problem. The broken walls and the destroyed city, it implied that the people living there, they were vulnerable to attack. It was degrading and shameful for them because they were living in ruins. It also implied that the first couple of groups of Exiles that had returned over a 93-year period, they had made very little progress in rebuilding their city and rebuilding their community and reestablishing their covenant with God. 
So this was a discouraging conversation. This was a difficult conversation. But it was in that conversation that the mission of God began to call out to Nehemiah. And that is the first key that we see in this text that God often uses to invite us into his mission. He uses the problem. He uses the problem. See, often problems can act as the soil from where God's invitation sprouts from. It can be a personal problem or as in Nehemiah's case, it can be a social or a a external problem. But it is in those problem moments often that we we're shaken out of our routines and we're shaken out of that complacency and we begin to see things completely different. I, I think of 2020 for me, right? But Nehemiah, he is confronted with the problems of his community and his nation. And that problem, it leads to a broken heart within him. He begins to weep. He's, he's tender. He's broken over this. He's mourning. Even though he is hundreds of miles away from this, this thing, he, he feels connected to this problem. He begins to experience what I would call a, a burden for his community. Others would say he, he began to have a heart for his community. For Nehemiah, his pain propelled him towards God's plan. Meaning the problem was so serious that it pushed him towards the direction that God wanted him to go in. And the same is true for you and I. Your pain can propel you towards God's plan. The the problem that causes you to mourn, the problem that causes you to grieve, the problem that makes you feel uncomfortable, it can, in a sense, push you towards the mission that God may have for you in this season. Or another way to think of this is that our irritation can sometimes be an invitation. The thing that irritates us can actually be an invitation. So what if that, that, that problem that you are hypercritical, angry, and irritated over, what if that problem, that irritation is actually an invitation from God to step into that problem in a new way? Like, oh, our, our, our city does not do enough for our homeless population. It is horrible. It's horrible. Well, what if that irritation is an invitation? to step into that problem in a new way. Oh, my, my neighbors, have you seen my neighbors? <laughs> my, my neighbors aren't, aren't very neighborly at all. Matter of fact, they are, ooh, they kind of just want to be left to themselves. They want to be off to their, you know, they want to do their own thing. What if that irritation is an invitation to initiate some, some neighborly kindness? to initiate some neighborly interaction. Or uh, the, the way that people do friendship today, it, oh my God, it is so inauthentic. It's so not vulnerable. I'm deep, I'm real. Um, but, but them, uh, well, what if that irritation is an invitation to model vulnerability, authenticity, connection, all of those things that you want to experience? These are just examples to help paint the picture. But let me ask you this. When is the last time your heart broke for something 
for someone else's situation? What, what, what problem has your heart been aching for, breaking for in this season? Or what have you been irritated by? What has been bothering you? Because first, God often uses the problem to grieve us or to irritate us so that we can begin to recognize that something needs to shift. Something needs to change here. So the next key that we see in this text that we just read in Nehemiah 1 that God uses to help us recognize and step into his mission is prayer. It's prayer. We're told that in verse 4, in addition to sitting and mourning and weeping, Nehemiah, he also begins to pray. But not only does he pray, he also fasts, which implies that Nehemiah was desperate. It means that he felt, he felt some urgency behind what was happening, the, the, the situation that was happening. Prayer is, is simply our communication and our collaboration with God. It is the foundation of our relationship with him. And fasting, it is simply giving up something that our body craves so that we can gain something that our spirit or soul needs. In the rest of Nehemiah 1, it shows us how Nehemiah prayed. He wasn't praying casual prayers. He, he wasn't praying lackadaisical prayers. He was going in. He, he was essentially praying prayers of, in, of, of intercession, which means that he was praying for their problem as if it was his problem. He was praying for their lives as if his life depended on it. To intercede, it literally means to, to intervene. It means to stand in the gap. It means to mediate. We would use that idiom standing in the gap, standing in the middle to say intercede. This is what we see Nehemiah do first, after he mourns and after he weeps. A principle that we can take from his life, from this moment, is that prayer, it propels us towards action. Prayer, it preludes, uh, yeah, it preludes action. It precedes it. Before we do anything, before we take any physical action, when we know that God is inviting us into something new, we have to pray about it. We have to pray about it. Why? Because prayer releases spiritual resources for our physical problems. That is what prayer does. When we are facing a situation that is bigger than us, a situation that is larger than us, a situation that just seems impossible, prayer reminds us that this is not larger than my God. Prayer, it reminds us that this thing that's standing in front of me is not larger than my God who is with me. It is not larger than my God who's with me. And this isn't wishful thinking that we're talking about here. This is anchoring ourselves in a reality that is greater. And as an act of faith, this is what we see Nehemiah do. He, or do, he does this. He, he reminds himself that my God is mighty. He, he's big. And actually in verse 5, when he starts his prayer, this is how he initiates his prayer in verse 5. Lord, the God of heaven, this is very intentional language, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. 
what is Nehemiah doing? He's reminding himself that, yes, Jerusalem is in great trouble. Yes, the walls are broken down. The gates are burned with fire. The city is in great dire uh, distress. Things look very bad. Things are very dark. But this is not greater than my God. But this is not bigger than my God. When we sense that God is inviting us to step into a new mission or mission with him, it has to start with prayer. It has to start with prayer before we do anything. Because in prayer, we get the reassurance that his presence is with us. In prayer, we get the reassurance that we are not alone. It's in prayer that we get the clarity and the strategy and the next steps that God wants to release to us. So then he finishes his prayer in verse 11, the last verse in chapter 1. And this is how he he ends it. This is all he says. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. And so this is, this is such an interesting text, right? So the first two keys that we, we saw in this chapter that God uses to help us to step into and recognize his mission is recognizing the problem. And two is praying. But the last one is partnership. Partnership. God's mission is always done in partnership, never alone. It's always done with other people and never alone. And we see partnership highlighted in Nehemiah's story in a few different ways. So first, God gives Nehemiah this idea to talk to this man. Who is this man? This man is the king of Persia, King Artaxerxes. So he, he, he gives him this idea to talk to him about this problem. And this is important because Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. And this is an important detail because he wasn't just a fancy butler. He, he actually was, was a, a guy in a high leadership role. To be the cupbearer uh, bearer essentially means that he was like the chief of staff to the president. God used Nehemiah's relationship with the king to open up doors that no one else could. So Nehemiah, he steps out and he, he, go, he asks the king and the king says, yes, you can go back to Jerusalem, rebuild the walls, rebuild the city. And it's ironic because this king is not even, he doesn't even believe in Nehemiah's God. So Nehemiah, he goes back with the king's blessings and the king's resources behind him. He essentially takes a leave of absence from his high paying government job (laughs) with good benefits, 401k, all that all that good stuff. He leaves it behind. He leaves the palace. He leaves to go to Jerusalem. And then while he's there, he he gathers some other Jewish officials together and some other people to help him to build. This is what Nehemiah 2, 17 and 18 says. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. 
Nehemiah, he shares this big idea, this, this crazy idea, because he knew he couldn't build alone. He knew he couldn't step into God's mission alone. And these other officials and residents, they agreed to help. So it is with these partners, with the king, with the people in the community, that Nehemiah rebuilds the wall and he restores, helps to restore Jerusalem back to God's covenant. But it wasn't, it wasn't straightforward. It wasn't easy. Nehemiah, he ran up against uh, a lot of opposition. There, there, were, there were people who opposed his mission, who opposed this work. And this is to be expected because when we are doing spiritual work, when we are stepping in to God's mission for our lives in a new way, like everything else in our relationship with God, the path forward is not always linear, is it? We can expect opposition. We can. I remember when I, uh, when I was in college, I, I started to take my uh, creative gifts seriously. This, this is before Lil Shep, um, just a little bit before. I, um, I, I, I recognized, I was like, this is a way that, that God is inviting me to step into mission with him. I didn't necessarily have that language at the, uh, at the time, but I could see that that's what I was actually doing. So I, I met a friend in, in college. We began to make music together. And then shortly after that, uh, one of my childhood friends joined us as well in making music. And we formed this, this Christian hip-hop collective. And, and we were uh, performing and we we're building momentum and putting out music. It was a beautiful time. It was a great time. And then in 2012, in the middle, in the middle of all of that, in the middle of seeing God use music and, and, and partner with, partnering with him in this way, in the middle of all that, I completely lose my ability to speak. Completely lose the ability to speak. I cannot say words. I can't form sentences at all. It was due to an a autoimmune uh, disorder that I wasn't aware of at the time. And my doctors told me that I'll be able to, you know, speak again and I will regain my, my ability to talk. But it will never be the same as before. To imply that you, you won't be able to do what you were doing before. So this was obviously mad discouraging. This was... Super disappointing because I had started to see God use music in this cool way. This is a huge blow. Like, what man, will I ever be able to rap again? Will, is that just over? But it was these two friends of mine and some other people in my life at the time who believed with me and they believed for me. They prayed with me. They, they, they prayed for me. They encouraged me. And they reminded me that God is a God of miracles. This God that we serve, he is a, a miracle-working God. It is just what he does. Miracles are a small thing to him. And they reminded me of this. And in late 2013, we were able to release an album that captured that entire experience. I was able to rap better than before the whole situation. Yeah. It was, it, it, it was a, a crazy time and a crazy experience. I was literally in a supernatural moment at that time. And this is the power of partners. 
This is the power of partners. You may experience discouragement. You may experience disappointment. You may experience doubt. But I love what Nehemiah 4.16 says. It, it, it says it's a pretty abstract sort of verse. It just says that half of the people, they, they worked on the wall while the other half watched with weapons. They, they, they watched with weapons while those that were working on the wall could work. And, and what does that mean? It means that there are times in our lives where, where we may need people who can build with us, but we may need people who can battle with us. Yeah. We may need people who, who can remind us of, of what God has called us to do. We may need people who can encourage us that, wait a second, no, God's going to do what he said he's going to do. That is actually what you are called to do. We need the right people around us to help us build and the people around us that can help us battle when we feel discouraged, when we feel hopeless. This is what God has for us. We need the right people around us. God has, has graced and, and gifted people uniquely to complement and to encourage us. This is what he has for us. So I, I, I go back to my original question of what is God's plan? What is God's plan for the problems in our world? And we, we, know, that, we know that he invites us to step in through the problem and through prayer and through partnership. But what is his plan for the world and the world's problems? His plan is you. You are God's plan. You. Oh. Oh. I don't know how that got in there. Um, I, I did not plan that. Um, you are God's plan. It, it is you. You are the plan. Meaning living on mission with God is God's plan. Nehemiah, he was created to address this specific problem. God gifted him uniquely and, and wove his story together in such a way that Nehemiah had all of the things that he needed. He had all of the things he needed to step into this specific mission. Friends, I wholeheartedly believe that there are problems that you are actually created to solve. That your life is actually an answer to somebody's prayer. Your life is an answer to prayer prayed decades ago. It's what we see in the book of Nehemiah. God is inviting you to step in to his mission in some new, in some new way. And what, is that, what does that look like? Well, I want you to reflect on these two questions. I want you to write these down and reflect on these over the next week. Because only you and the Holy Spirit can really unpack, well, what does it look like for me to step in to, to, to mission with God in a new way? The first question that I, want you to, that I want you to ask is, what has my heart, what has been uh, irritating or heartbreaking for me, and how can I begin to pray about it? What has been irritating or heartbreaking for me? And how can I begin to pray about it? 
And the second one is, what would it look like for me to step into God's mission in a new way? These are important questions because the reality is, is that it's not gonna look the same for everybody. For one, it, it could look like starting some community initiative or joining a community initiative, starting a business. For, for another, it may look nothing like that. Maybe it will be just saying, I'm going to go after breaking generational patterns and sins in my family. I, I, I'm gonna choose to raise my kids in a specific way. So these questions will help us to unpack, well, Lord, what does that look like for me in this season, in this time, to join you in what you're already doing? This is how God has had it set up from the beginning of time. He's always desired to partner with people to solve his problems. And he wants his followers to follow him into a life of mission. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity and the way in which you have created us all to join you in mission, that we, we have a, a unique purpose and a, a unique destiny. And I pray, God, that it would be said of Soul City and, 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 and our people that we are a people that lives on mission with you. We are rebuilders, people who restore things, people who revive things. May that be true of us, God. And I pray, God, that you would bring us the clarity that we need. Release the clarity and the strategies and ideas that we need to step in to mission with you. In Jesus' name, amen.